Welcome to Gen Z Money, episode 43. I will preface this by saying I absolutely love Dave Ramsey. Best financial influencer on this planet, hands down, over Grant Cardone, all those other gurus. Dave Ramsey is the best. I think he has made the most millionaires. I, I, I truly think he's made the most millionaires out of any financial influencer. So shout out to him. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. Boy, oh boy, do I have a special episode for you guys. Today, I am flying solo. I know it's been a while since I've done a solo episode, but I really thought that this was a topic that needs to be tackled, and I think I have enough expertise in that area to tackle it. You guys might be asking... Well, James, what topic is that? You're not an expert in anything. You're absolutely right. But the one person I do love is Dave Ramsey. And for those of you guys who do not know, Dave Ramsey is a financial advisor. He's a financial influencer in the fi personal finance space. And he's developed tools like Financial Peace University, which is a class on how to reach financial peace. And he's He's developed just so many different uh, books. He's developed different apps to use to help the everyday person reach financial peace. So if you have not heard of him, of course, I always suggest that you guys go and give his podcast a listen. It's called The Ramsey Show. Read, his, read one of his many books, uh, Financial Peace University or The Legacy Journey. All of those are going to be in the show notes below. But he is basically developed a team and developed a, a a pretty, pretty concrete path that almost anyone in this world can take to reach financial peace, which he calls the baby steps. And so in this episode, what I'm going to do is I'm to the best of my ability. I'm not Dave Ramsey himself, but I've listened to him a lot. I understand the baby steps for the most part. So in this episode, what I'm going to be doing is going over the baby steps, going over my opinion on each baby step, and then, you know, just talking through my reasoning why I agree with this baby step or I disagree with this baby step. I will preface this by saying I absolutely love Dave Ramsey, best financial influencer on this planet, hands down, over Grant Cardone, all those other gurus. Dave Ramsey is the best. I think he has made the most millionaires. I, I truly think he's made the most millionaires out of any financial influencer. So shout out to him. But the reason I say that is because we do not agree on everything. And you guys are going to hear in this uh, episode what I agree with, what I don't, and why. So this is not an episode to, to bash Dave Ramsey. No, it's just an episode to give my opinion on his baby steps and not only give my opinion, but also inform you guys, the listeners, on his baby steps, because maybe that might be something that you guys might want to follow. Anybody who follows the baby steps, you're not going to hear any complaints from me. Before we go any further, let's hear a word from today's show sponsors. With that being said, guys, let's go ahead and get into it. And so 
I, we would start with baby step one, right? But there are also some precursors to the baby steps that I think need to be addressed, that he addresses in his book, and that need to be talked about. And two of them come to mind that we're going to discuss. This is before you even start his plan. He has very two. He has two philosophies. Um, he is all about giving. And so a big point he makes is regardless on what baby step you are on, you need to be giving or tithing, as he calls it in his religious beliefs. Now, whether you're Christian, Muslim, whatever the case is, I think most religions, most religions encourage giving. So this is not a foreign concept to most people. But he believes regardless of where you are in your baby steps, you should be giving and you should be tithing in some way, shape, or form, whether it's 10% to your local church or, you know, tipping extra to bartenders or, or you know, what whatever that case is. With that being said, guys, I am a firm believer in taking care of your family or giving to your family before you give to someone else's. And so if you are starting his baby steps from baby step one, I do not think you're in a place to be giving. With that being said, I know that may sound a little bit selfish, but you have to secure your family's future before you secure anyone else's. That's just my personal opinion. And some people may agree, some people may disagree, but that's how I run my family. I don't give away until I know my family has food in their mouth, rents paid and all that. And, and Dave Ramsey agrees with that. He's, he's mentioned plenty of times, like you have to make sure that your family is secure before you give to other people. But I wish he'd be a little bit more transparent about that, but still he's awesome. Now, another precursor to the baby steps is that you need to be current on all of your bills. You know, your electric bill can't be three months behind your, um, your mortgage cannot be like you can't be going through a foreclosure trying to walk these baby steps because you're going to add walking through the baby steps are already stressful enough. So adding on top of that, going through a foreclosure, trying to go through a bankruptcy or, you know, you have these credit card collections hounding you and hounding you and hounding you um, is a really it, it, it can make things much more stressful. So. Getting current on your bills is like baby step 0.5, first half baby step. You know, make sure all your credit card payments are current. Make sure your car payment is current. Your home mortgage is current. Your rent is current. Your utilities. Get current on all of these things. I know that may seem hard for someone who is not, but what does that look like? Well, we're going to go over it a little bit later, but you need to be working 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks, right? Like, if you are struggling, the only place you need to go, you don't need to go to the bars. You don't need to go to the beach. You need to go to work, okay? You need to go to work. So when you're struggling like this, the only place to go is to work or somewhere to create an income. That leads us into baby step one. His baby step one is to save a $1,000 emergency fund. How do you do that? You are selling everything. You're selling your TVs. You're selling your pets. You're selling your cars. You're selling your whatever you have that is worth any value. You are selling it and you are getting a $1,000 cushion ASAP. If you can have that $1,000 by tomorrow, you need to get that $1,000. 
his philosophy behind this is because when you begin to start paying off your debts, the last thing you want to do is have an emergency come up. Let's say you blow a tire or I don't know, you crack your radiator or something. If you do not have an emergency fund, you are just going to perpetually go back into debt. So to have a thousand dollars and let's say you blow a tire, boom, that costs $300 to repair. I don't know. It depends where you live. And now your emergency fund is down now down to $700. Well, you stop your future baby step and you, you fill up that emergency fund again. And I know it may sound like, Oh, James, I'm never going to, you know, get on to baby steps. Trust me. Emergencies don't come up as much as you would think. The people who have the most emergencies, for some reason, it's a very strange, very, very strange thing, but it's the people who mainly cannot afford them. So emergencies turn into inconveniences when you have the money sitting there. Now, I will preface this by saying, having $1,000 in an emergency fund to some people, that may seem impossible, while some people may seem, oh, yeah, James, Dave, guys, that's not enough. Here's the thing. If you manage to save $1,000, you are now in a better financial position than 40% of Americans. 40% of Americans cannot afford a $400 emergency. So you are already better than 40%. And on top of that, only 40% of Americans can afford $8,000 emergency. So you are in the top half of Americans when it comes to a personal financial situation. That is a big step. You are now better than the average person when it comes to finances with just this one simple step. So I 100% agree that you need to have a bare minimum of $1,000. Here's where my skepticism comes in, which Dave makes a very, very great point. The reason that you only want $1,000 in your emergency fund, because you're going to say, James, Dave, that's not enough. That's the point. He wants you to be afraid, but it's kind of like being in the ocean with a life jacket. Like you're still kicking, you're still afraid, and you're still going to do whatever it takes to survive, but you're not in imminent danger, meaning like one thing right around the corner that's going to absolutely knock you off your horse right so he wants you to be afraid he wants you to be in a fearful position because fear is what's going to push you through the baby steps to make you push harder and faster and get rid of things and make drastic decisions but that being said for me personally i understand $1,000 for someone like me, like, let's just say I'm a single guy. All I have to do is support myself, whatever the case is. $1,000 is, is, I think, plenty to have a starter emergency fund. Where it gets kind of hectic is when you have families with two kids, three kids, four kids. $1,000 is like a grocery trip to a lot of families. So I like to say, I mean... I like to say $1,000 per individual in your household. So if you're taking care of your mother-in-law, that's $1,000. If you're taking care of three kids, that's $3,000. And so a family of four, you know, two, two parents, two kids would have $4,000 or a family of six would have $6,000. And I think that is, that is a realistic point to where you're not absolutely petrified as a 
family provider if you are the provider of the family. So that's where I differ just a little bit. I like $1,000 per individual in the household. Dave likes $1,000 for the household. You cannot go wrong either way. Either way, you are going to be better than 50% of the population of Americans. So I, I, I truly would not harp on that. It's truly, I don't want you to be comfortable. I still want you to feel a sense of urgency, but $1,000 is a bit too uncomfortable for me. But it's not uncomfortable for the average American because they can't even afford a $400 emergency. So after you do that, boom, you've sold everything in your house, you've gotten current on bills, and now you are you have $1,000 saved up. Maybe step number two is to list out all of your debts, smallest to largest, on balance, and systematically go through paying off those debts from smallest balance to largest balance. Okay, let's go ahead and break down this myth. Let's go ahead and break down this because I know people are going to say, James, that is stupid. That's the dumbest thing you can do. Listen, I 100% trust Dave Ramsey on this process. It's called the debt snowball. So the way it works is you're paying minimum balances on all of these debts and you are attacking the little one. Once that one is gone, all of the money you're putting on that smallest debt, plus the money you're already paying on your second debt goes into that. And as the snowball rolls down the hill, as you get to those bigger debts, the snowball gets bigger. You're throwing more money at the debt. A lot of people will say, no, James, you know, you have to focus on the interest rate. If you have one at 0% interest and you have one at 18% interest, you have to focus on the 18%. I get it, right? I understand what you're saying. Mathematically, that is the fastest way out of debt. But here's the thing. If you were thinking mathematically, you wouldn't have gotten into so much debt in the first place. You were thinking... Be, you were it was a behavior issue that got you into the debt the sense of non no delayed gratification or things along those lines so it's very important that you fix the behavioral problem or you fix a behavioral problem with behavior instead of trying to fix a behavioral problem with mathematics so the debt snowball is the way to go list out your debts smallest balance to largest balance and attack the, the smallest balance debt. Let's say it's a $200 credit card. Boom, that's knocked out. Now you're rolling to a $1,000 credit card. Boom, that's knocked out. Now you're going to a $5,000 personal loan. Boom, that's knocked out. Then you're going to a car, a car note. You owe $10,000 on. Boom, that's knocked out. And as you get that momentum rolling, you're just throwing more and more and more money systematically at this debt to pay it off as quickly as possible up until you get to things like your student loans. One debt that he does not throw into this is your home mortgage. And we're going to talk about a home mortgage later in his uh, financial steps, his financial process. But I 100% agree with this process up to the point where I am still every single day I'm bringing on guests and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm weighing costs and benefits and there is a very good point to be made that student loans may or may not be in that debt snowball. The problem with student loans is that they are normally substantial. Normally, you're paying them off for a, a, an extended amount of time. And when you weigh that against investing over that period of time, you can see how there might be a drastic difference. And so when you're paying off these credit cards, these car loans and all that, you're not investing. You're not investing at all. 
your every single dime coming into your house that's not used on an expense that is a necessary expense is going towards paying off debt. So student loans are just one of those where I am still on the fence about personally. This is going to I'm rolling into my exceptions or my interpretations of these. I absolutely love the debt snowball. I absolutely love paying off all your consumer debt, regardless of the interest rate, even though 0% credit cards and 0% car loans you guys have. I am all for paying that off. It's just when you get to the student loans, I get a little iffy. And then there's another thing that I get a little iffy about on this, which in the grand scheme of things, if you look at it over a 50 year window, it's not going to really make a difference whether you do. But I personally always suggest, listen, guys, when you're paying off this debt, get your employer match, get your retirement started. You're getting 100% return on your money just by putting it in. You know, it is locked into retirement account. So I know you're not going to go spend it on the weekend. So go ahead and get that. The reason why is when you're getting that employer match, you are in most cases, almost all cases, you're locking that money up. And a big reason that Dave is on this pay off the debt, pay the debt first, don't even have it, don't save it up and then pay the debt a lump sum, throw every single penny, every single day towards it. Because if you don't, you're going to find somewhere to spend that money. You're going to, your life is going to absorb that money. Therefore, you should it shouldn't be in your savings account saving to pay off the debt. When it comes to a retirement account though, you have tons of roadblocks in your way to get to that money. You have taxes that you have to pay. You have penalties. You have a waiting period, you know, by the time you get it. And so there are all these obstacles in your way to get to that retirement account. So I just weigh the cost of like, okay, you know what? You're getting 100% return on your money if it's 5% of your income or whatever the case is. And it's locked up. It is very, very hard to get to. So I'm okay with it. I'm like, you know what? I don't think that they're going to go out on the weekend and spend their whole 401k. Therefore, I'm okay with them doing that while paying off their debt. So just make sure that that's my only difference truly between what he preaches about not investing and paying off your debt ASAP. I just say get the employer match and student loans. I, I think that they should be knocked out, but with the intensity of that you'll be using for things like credit cards, uh, car loans, and things like that. I just think that the intensity can die down a little bit with student loans because they're normally much lower interest rate. They're normally amateurized. And normally they take a little bit longer to pay off, especially depending on what profession and what education route you chose to go, especially for people like doctors, because you guys got a whole lot. Okay. And then there's one more portion that I really want to talk about with this baby step number two, which is collections. So I actually learned this from Dave Ramsey. I am completely parroting what he said because I have nothing to refute it. Okay. Dave Ramsey says um, the way to pay off collections, the proper way to pay off collections is first, you do not want to be making payments to collections. Here's the thing. When you make a payment to collections, for those who do not know, if there's no activity on an account for seven years, then they have to remove it from your credit report. Every payment you make towards a collections, like you say you make monthly payments or whatever, you are restarting that seven-year clock. So let's say you know, you're in year five and you have not made a payment, you haven't answered their phone calls, none of that. Year five. 
in two years, that thing is coming off your credit. It's basically going to be discharged. You'll still owe the money, but they won't be able to come after you anymore. They It won't be affecting you monetarily on your credit scores, things like that. So you don't want to restart that clock. But what you do want to do is get in touch with the, which, okay, and I want to say I'm very unclear about this. I do not know if getting in touch with these people and reaching a settlement deal I do not know if that will restart the clock. I know for sure making payments will, but I do not know if negotiating will restart that clock. With that being said, what Dave Ramsey teaches is you get in touch with the collection agency, you reach a settlement amount. Let's say the total debt is 7,000 and you guys reach a settlement amount of $3,000. You pay it one time in a lump sum payment. You put it on like a gift card, cashier check or something along those lines to where they do not have electrical access to your checking account, and you get it in writing. So if they say on the phone, hey, we'll settle this for $3,000, we'll remove it from your credit report, uh, that's fine. You need to get that in writing before you submit any payment. And then when you do go to submit a payment, do not do like an ACH transfer because what they will do, they will go into your bank account. They will take everything you have up to that amount. So if you have $5,000 sitting in there, they will take the whole $5,000 because you owe seven. These people are grimy, they're mean, and they don't really, they want to collect as much money as possible from you. You're just a number in their little cogwheel. So those are the rules. Get it in writing, pay it one time in full, do not make payments, and also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh, and uh, no electric access to your checking account. So no ACH transfers, get it in writing, and one lump sum payment. That's how you handle collections. And you simply, you save up, you knock it out. Save up, knock it out. However many you have, um, that, that's the way to go about paying off those debts. But everything else, you're, every single month you're getting paid, you're throwing money on those debts. Let's move on to baby step number three. Saving a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months worth of expenses. Now, this is one that I don't understand why people get confused about, but I'm going to break it down. You should always be living on less than you make. That is a given. If you're listening to this podcast, we talk about it a lot. Always live on less than you make. Therefore, if you make $4,000 a month and you're spending $3,000 a month, those are your fixed expenses. You need to save three to six months of that $3,000. So that'll be between $9,000 and $18,000, sounds like. Yeah, I think I did that right. So that is what you need to be saving in a high-yield savings account where you can get to it very, very easily. Now, a lot of people may think, and if they're thinking, you know, I'm starting baby step number one. Wow, that's going to take me forever. Listen, guys, it is so much easier to save money once you've been on a budget tracking your spending. You have no more debts. You don't have any car payments. You don't have any credit card payments. You don't have any of these things. You know, it is it is much, much, much easier to save money. Why three to six months? Well, first of all, if you have an emergency that comes up that's over six months worth of expenses at one time, and I know things do happen, but that is a very rare, that is like a once in a lifetime type of thing, unless you're like uninsured or you have other issues along those lines. But 
that is a very, very rare thing to come across, which is why six months is, is typically uh, the max you need to be able to save. The reason that over six months is overkill, because now you are, your your savings is fighting inflation. So you want as much of your money working for you as humanly possible to fight against inflation and to build wealth over the long term. So if you're saving one year, two years, three years of living expenses and inflation is eating that every single year and you don't have that type of money growing, you're being counterintuitive with your wealth building. So it's like investing that money, having it grow for you at average of seven, eight percent a year is going to much be much better than growing at 1% or 1.5% in a savings account while also fighting inflation. So you want to have enough money in your emergency fund to be safe, sleep at night, know that if anything comes up, you're going to be okay, but you don't want to have too much in there to where you don't have enough money working for you. Now, of course, once you have you know, hundreds of thousand dollars investing, if you want to beef it up to a year, you want to sleep better at night, I have no issue with it. The point is you need to have a significant amount of your net worth growing over your emergency fund. Now, how do you decide, the listener, how do you decide between a three-month and a six-month emergency fund? Well, it's, it's actually quite simple. It's whatever you feel like, honestly. How secure do you feel in life? Are you young? Are you healthy? Are you old? Do you have health problems? Are you a temp worker? Do you have a career you've been in for umpteen years? How stable is your job? Like, All of these take effect in what helps you sleep at night when it comes to an emergency fund. Me personally, I have a pretty secure job. My wife has a pretty secure job. We are relatively young, relatively healthy, and I still do six months. Why? Just because I am a scaredy cat. I want to be prepared for absolutely anything that comes along. So if you feel less secure with three, three months of expenses, you can beef it up to six. If you think six is too much and you want more of that money working for you, you can bump it down to three. Just stay somewhere between three to six months worth of expenses. Remember, investing the money, if you're investing it safely, you're not throwing it into, you know, a cryptocurrency that was released yesterday, the odds of you losing 100% of that money is zero. Like if you invest it in the stock market, like an index fund or something, it's never gone to zero. So you'll never actually lose all of that money. It might go down, it might go up, but you still have that money in case you need it. So... Yeah, I just think that you need to take into account how big is your family? You know, what does your family do? What's the health concerns of your family? Are you guys have a single income household or a dual income household? All of these take an effect to what helps you sleep at night when it comes to saving your emergency fund. So I highly, highly suggest that you guys sit down, look at your current financial situation and then decide whether you are going to do three months, four months, five months, or six months worth of emergency fund. That's baby step number three. Baby step number three B, which just comes between three and four, which again, I, I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm going to give it to you guys. So you guys can draw your own little conclusion. Between baby step three and baby step four is baby step 3.5, which is saving for your first home. So Dave Ramsey suggests putting a minimum of 10% down on your home uh, between 10 and 
I personally, I don't care if you use these 3.5%, 5% down loans, 0% down VA home loans. I personally don't care. Um, I think you should be investing while you're saving up that money. But that's just me personally. I mean, it, it depends on how fast you want to get into a house. What is the housing market looking like where you are? It truly all depends. But I love to see people investing during times like this saving. So that leads us to baby step number four, which is investing 15% of your income into retirement. What does that mean, James? That means if you're making $1,000 a month, let's keep things simple. 15% of that or $150 needs to be going into some type of retirement account to pad your retirement. Now, 15% of your income is, is a pretty drastic amount. And I 100% agree that 15% is going to help you retire with dignity almost 100% of the time, depending on how close you are to retirement. But most of the time, 15% is going to get you a pretty dignified retirement. So if you're making $50,000 a year, that's $7,500, right? Yeah, $7,500 into retirement every single year. Where are you putting these things? Well, any retirement account will do, right? You have uh, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, TSP we talked about, um, an HSA. We've all we've talked about so many of these different retirement vehicles on the podcast but the reason that you're using these vehicles is I don't think you guys realize it because it took me a very long time for me to realize it. Your biggest expense of your lifetime, what would you guys guess it is? I'm going to give you a second. What do you think over your lifetime, what is the biggest expense you will spend money on? Is it housing? Is it food? Utilities. Utilities are high. You know what I mean? I mean, what is it? Is it cars? Is it transportation? Is it gas? Gas going up? Guys, the biggest expense of your lifetime is taxes. Paying taxes to the government. That is local taxes, your county taxes. That is property taxes. That is sales tax, federal income tax, state income tax, Medicare, Medicaid tax, Social Security tax. All of these different taxes, if you add all of them up, they are astronomically bigger than number two, which I, which is, I think, housing when it comes to expenses in your lifetime. Taxes. You need to minimize that bill as much as humanly possible to help you build wealth. This is why the, the wealthy, the, the richest people in our society, take advantage of the tax code because they know that is by far their biggest expense that they're going to have in their lifetime. Well, it's not only them that can take advantage of it. We, the everyday people, can also take advantage of the tax code using tax advantage accounts like Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401k. Keep the government's hands off of this money. Put it in a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k. Let it grow tax-free. And the government's hands, they, they take what they want up front, and then you have millions and millions and millions down the road to, to be happy about, right? So I know a lot of people have this negative misconception that like, oh, the, the wealthy are avoiding taxes. Listen, we need to be avoiding taxes too. And okay, let me rephrase that. We need to be as tax advantaged as possible. We shouldn't be avoiding taxes, but we should be pivoting to where we're not paying as much taxes. We need to lower that expense in our lifetime, which is why 
he suggests loading up these retirement accounts with 15% of your income because it's going to keep the government's hands off of 15% of your income, which will do a very, very big difference. Now, what he suggests investing in, he uses these words, and I'll break them down for you. He suggests breaking your portfolio down into four different investment uh, mutual funds, essentially, which is growth, growth and income, aggressive growth, and international. If you look these up, you're not going to find them. Okay, Dave Ramsey, he's still a little older than us. They've actually changed the name. But what he's referring to is small cap mutual funds, mid cap mutual funds, high cap mutual funds, and the international mutual funds, right? You'll find those all day, every day. And all it is is small cap is smaller companies. Mid cap is kind of, you know, the porridge, the medium porridge, where it's it's got some big companies, some small companies, and a bunch of medium companies. And the high cap are the big guys, Facebook. Twitter, uh, Target, uh, Walmart, Amazon, you know, the, the big guys, Facebook. So, yeah, that's just the difference between those. And, of course, the small cap is going to fluctuate. You know, it's going to go crazy. Mid cap is going to be, you know, a little bit more stable. And then high cap is going to be a little bit lower, but it's going to be very consistent because these companies are consistently growing. International, you know, that's kind of like the, the black swan. Where it's like whatever the rest of the world is doing, we'll take into account in our portfolio. But he just suggests 25% into each of those categories. Now, let's talk about some of the downsides. So we talked about the upsides, keeping the government's hands off of your money, letting it grow tax-free or tax-deferred. There are some downsides. You know, if you want to access this money, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. In, in most cases, if you want to access some of this money, you have to pay penalties on it in, in tons of cases. And so there are reasons why you wouldn't want to put every single dime into a retirement account, because you have to deal with taxes. You have to deal with penalties. And you have to deal with all these you know rules that the government is going to take more money from you. But this is why having that baby step three, that emergency fund is so important to where if you know your son breaks a leg hey, you don't have to go into your retirement account and pay taxes and penalties. You can just go to that savings account and get that paid for. So that's why, you know, you're not throwing every single dime you have. You need to have some type of cushion. And I, I get it. If you're going through a bankruptcy, if you're going through a foreclosure and you need those funds, they're there to access. But just know that you're going to pay up. You're going to pay around 33 to 40% to get to that money. And so every dollar you take out, the government's going to be taking, you know, 30 to 40 cents of it. So that means you have to take out more. So this is the downside of using retirement. But again, if you use it correctly, if you have the correct emergency funding, you're not over leveraging yourself and putting yourself into too risky of a position, then leaving that retirement to grow and keeping the government's hands off it is going to way outpace the risk of the penalties and taxes you're going to incur. You're going to occur a cure. Sorry, guys, I just got my bottom braces in. But it's going to lower the risk of having to use that. Now, let's talk about whew, retiring early, because a lot of reasons that's why people are listening to this podcast, because they want to retire early. And that is a very solid reason. And something we didn't go over with retirement accounts is normally you cannot access them without penalties and taxes until around age 59 and a half. Well, James, what if I want to retire before that? Well, first of all, 
that 15%, that's got to go out the window. You want to retire early, you need to beef it up. You need 25%, 30%, 50% of your income going into investing. I'm not going to say retirement accounts. I'm going to say investing in different ways, shapes, or forms. If you want to retire early. So you can still lock up some money into these retirement accounts. You can still use your uh, 401ks, your IRAs, your HSAs, and things like that. Just don't put it all in there. You know, you know you're going to use that money from age 60 to age whenever, but you need to start stacking away and investing money outside of retirement accounts to get you to that age 60 from whatever age you retire, whether it's 30, 40, 50, whatever the case is. So then you would just use normal brokerage accounts or you can branch outside of the stock market and invest in things like real estate or investing in business opportunities or other outside of retirement means. But yeah, if you want to retire early, which a lot of people do, then you're going to have to be, you're going to have to learn to save 30% of your income, 40% of your income, 50% of your income on a consistent basis. That is what's going to get you to that early retirement. Oh, guys, we are rocking and rolling. So let's go ahead and go. We already talked about starting investing. We're going to go to baby step number five, which is saving for your kids' college. This one, I think, is a pretty controversial one. Uh, are there going to be people who say, well, I don't want kids. Well, I don't want, you know, I don't want to pay for their college. You got to pay for their own. I want them to take out loans like I did. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever you say, I don't care. This is my opinion, and I'm just going to explain how Dave says it. Dave says, save for kids' college. What does that mean? I mean, you call up your university and say, hey, you know, I have a 10-year-old. In eight years, he's going to go to college. How much has your tuition risen every single year? Well, we raise 5% every year. So then you do the math. If it's 10,000 this year, 5% times eight, you know, you're looking at like 20,000, almost doubling, you know, by the time your kids are ready to go to college. So there's a way to systematically back into what number that is. And then you just have to systematically invest and save for it. How do you do that, James? Well, there are other tax advantaged accounts we talked about keeping the government's hands off of your money for your kids college things like 529s and ESAs these are tax advantaged accounts that can be used for education of your children they can be transferred so let's say you give it to little bobby over here and bobby decides i don't want to go to college well now you can just transfer that account to little linda and now linda can use that to go to college and you can transfer it between children and it's very flexible and it's just a very efficient tax advantaged way to pay for your children's college. There's also another great benefit. I'm pretty sure it's for the 529. I'm not sure about the ESA, but let's say, God, let's say you save a hundred thousand dollars for little Bobby to go to school. That's Bobby. But Bobby is a stud. Bobby's captain of the football team. He gets to go to college full ride. Guess what they let you do. You can take out whatever scholarship money that they get tax-free and penalty-free. So let's say you save up $100,000. Bobby gets a full ride to college, $100,000. Now you get to take out that money tax-free and penalty-free because you would have used it for college, but Bobby's a stud. And so that is such a great advantage. You know, if you have these rock star kids who get a ton of scholarships, a ton of grants and things like that, all of that 
you can take out of that account tax-free, penalty-free, you know, equivocally. So if they get $500, you can take out $500. And that way you can invest in your kid's college without hoping that they'll need it, hoping that they won't need it. And you get to just take that money out tax-free and penalty-free. So that is a great, great, great benefit to help you guys realize that that money isn't just locked up. You know, if your kid's a rock star and they pay for college themselves, that money isn't just locked up. There are ways to get it out without taxes, without penalties and things like that. So shout out to the 529s and the ESAs. Now, here's my opinion, right? That's all Dave Ramsey. You know, I learned all that from Dave Ramsey. Shout out to Dave Ramsey. Here's my opinion. And this is going to be kind of controversial, which I've talked about it openly before. I just want to be very clear. College is not mandatory. It's not mandatory for children, and it's not mandatory for parents. College is a luxury. Your job as a parent, in my opinion, is to get your children through K through 12. That is what you're invested in. After 12th grade, after they turn 18, their life should be in their hands. And I know, James, that's a lot to ask of your child. Blah, blah, blah. I get it, right? I understand that. Here's the thing. I do not like parents living vicariously through their children. I don't like them saying you need to go to college and you need to get this education. And because I didn't get to do it right. You, you need to go do it and I don't get to do it. College is a luxury and it should not be taken lightly. So college is not a place to send your children to figure out what they want to be. The only thing they're going to figure out what they want to be is a professional beer pong player. Okay. Like, do not try to live vicariously through your kids by sending them to college and giving them opportunities that you did not have, especially if it's not required. With that being said, children, us, Gen Z, if you're listening to this and you're about to go to college or your parents want you to go to college, do not go to college because your parents told you to. That is stupid. Here's the thing. Unless your parents are paying, they have no obligation to send you to college. You can go get a job. You can go move on on your own. You have all of these options, okay? If you want to live under their roof, if you want to eat up their food, if you want to live for free, then you need to do what they say. But if it's the wrong thing, you have no right to blame your parents. Oftentimes, what children will do is they will think that their parents set them up for failure. Let's say they go to college, they don't use their degree. It's their parents' fault. No. Your parents did what they thought was best for you. And it just happened to not be the best. Just like buying, taking out car loans, taking out credit card loans, taking out a ton of student loans. They're doing what they think is best for you. Do not blame them because you also have a say in that. So I say all of that to say, parents, do not force your kids to go to college. And kids, do not go to college because your, your parents want you to. You need to go to college with a plan, and if you if college is necessary, then you need to do it. If you want to become a nurse, you need to go to college. If you want to become a doctor, you need to go to college. If you want to become a welder, you need to go to some type of technical school. If you want to be, I don't know, I don't know what doesn't require. If you want to work in construction, you don't have to go to college. If you want to be a truck driver, you can go to classes. You don't have to go to college. So don't go there to try to figure things out. Kids, don't blame your parents. And parents, do not force your kids. Now, there's there's a very it's it's very easy to set boundaries and say, look, either you're going to work or you're going to go to school to be in my house. And I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. The kids, they gave you the option. You can work or go to school. 
or you can just move out. And so they cannot force you to do anything anymore, but they're basically telling you if you want their help, if you want them to support you, you have to do something, one of these things. If you accept that deal, that is on you. That is accountability. So that's a long tangent just to say, kids, it's your responsibility to make it to college. It's not a requirement on your parents. If your parents can and they do choose to put you through college, that is a privilege. You are blessed. Not many people have that. But if you go to college, you take out student loans, they are your responsibility, regardless of who told you to go. Okay. Ah, God, that's that's such a I just want to say, guys, that, that's such a, a topic for me because I'm in the age where a lot of my peers are going to college, dropping out, graduating, and then they have tons of student loan debts. I say, oh, it's my parents' fault. And I just I look at them like you guys are stupid. Your parents did not put a gun to your head and force you to take out these loans. They gave you an option. Go to college, go to work, go make a, a life for yourself. They did their job up to 12th grade, uh, up to graduation, up to 18. It's not your parents' fault what choices you make after that. And I'm tired of us not taking accountability as Gen Z for that. So that that's why I'm so passionate about it, because we love to blame our parents for our mistakes. Even if they tell us not to do it, then they blame, we blame them. So, yeah. Whew, that's another, another, another episode for another day. Let's move on to baby step six, guys. Baby step six, throw everything else possible to your mortgage. This is another very, very, very controversial one, I would say. I think if you do that, you are a rock star. You're absolutely a rock star. You're paying off your home early. You're going to own your home in an average of eight to 10 years. And you're going to do something that most Americans will never feel, which is own your own home completely. With that being said, if you decide to go the ladder, which is not pay off, which is invest that money instead, you're also a rock star. I think at baby step six is where if you've gone through baby step one through five, it's impossible to mess up at that point. Except if you... If you choose to pay off your home early, throw all of your extra money into your mortgage, pay it off, you're a rock star. If you choose, you know, I'm just going to make my normal mortgage payments and I'm going to invest that money elsewhere, either in real estate, businesses, stock market, retirement, whatever the case is, you're a rock star. If you say, I'm not going to do either and I'm just going to go blow it, I'm going to go buy a new boat and all that and buy things I don't need or try to impress people I don't even like, that's the only way you can go wrong, right? So you need to pick one. Either you need to pay off your home early, which I have no problem with, or you need to invest that money, which I also have no problem with. My opinion on this is that we are in a very, very transitional time in moment when I'm recording this, which is August with interest rates earlier this year in January were around 3%. Now they're like 6%, 7%. So a lot of my mortgages are around between 2.5 and 3.5%, which I'm not trying to pay those off anytime soon because I know I can make more than that in the stock market. And I also know that I'm not paying that interest. My tenants are, I pay it on my house, but as for 
my rentals, my tenants are paying that interest. It's not, it's just an expense at that point of the business. So I'm not in a rush to pay it off. I'd rather put that money into more properties that are going to generate a higher return or in the stock market that's going to generate a higher return. But with those now and un uncertain in the future, people are probably going to be seeing 6% mortgage loans, 7% mortgage loans. And so the philosophy is, well, if you can get a guaranteed 7% return by paying extra on your mortgage and starting to pay it off early compared to risking it in the stock market to get 7%, well, now that's a pretty good argument on to why you should go ahead and pay your home off early because you're saving 7% guaranteed. That loan, that fixed rate mortgage does not change while the market may fluctuate. It may be down 10% one year, maybe up 12% next year, but you're averaging 7% in the stock market, but you're guaranteed 7% on your mortgage. So that might be a time where I say, you know what, just pay off your mortgage. But again, either choice you make, you're a rock star because you're going to be accumulating wealth at such a drastic speed. You know, you're going to accumulate millions and millions and millions of dollars to create generational wealth. So it doesn't matter which route you pick, just pick it and go with it. Don't don't sit there and, and be in between. If you want to throw a little bit towards investing, a little bit towards the house, I'm cool with that too. But don't be that guy to say, I'm not going to do either. I'm just going to go and buy a BMW. Or I'm going to go, I don't know, buy a boat. I'm going to add on this unnecessary thing to my house. I'm going to remodel my kitchen because there's nothing wrong with my kitchen. All these things, if you do not assign a purpose to the money, the money is going to dissipate. So you need to have every single purpose with every single dollar. Therefore, either paying off your home or investing that money, I have no problem with. But I do want to throw out a little statistic that Dave Ramsey did a study on millionaires, and he found that most millionaires, a third of their net worth was in home equity. So if they had a million dollar net worth, that means 333000 was in their home, while the other 666000 was in the market. And so that is a substantial portion of your net worth in the home you own, the home you own. So whether you pay it off early or not, I have no problem with, but you have to do either. You cannot do neither. You have to do either. Yeah, I just dropped the bomb on you all that one. Holy cow. So the final baby step, which is the most important, is baby step number seven, which is to live and give like no one else. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about before, which is Dave Ramsey. You know, he always talks about tithing and giving throughout the baby steps. You shouldn't be waiting until your home is paid off in order to start living and giving. You should be doing it all over. But at baby step seven is where you do it outrageously. There is a saying that money doesn't buy happiness. I hate that saying. Why? Because the only people that say that have not given enough away. People don't understand the joy you get from sending a kid to college, a kid you don't even know, giving them a grant to go to college. People do not know the joy you get from buying a single mother her first car. People do not understand the joy you get when you can leave a waiter a $1,000 tip. These are things that being wealthy, being wealthy gives you the option to do outrageously generous things like that. 
The point of baby step number seven is you are no longer accumulating wealth for yourself and your family. At this point, your family is good for at least the next generation of children. Now it's all about blessing other people. And a lot of people say, oh, rich people are mean, rich people are evil, and all of these negative connotations. But the thing is, rich people do the most for our society. Rich people pay the most in taxes. Rich people give the most to charity. Rich people give the most time to charity. So, or, or just time to people in general. So to say that they're all evil, I think is, it reflects more on the person saying it than the people they're talking about. When someone says, oh yeah, all rich people are evil. What I think of is what you're saying is if you were rich, you wouldn't do anything for anyone else. You're the selfish one. It reflects more on you than it does the people you're talking about because the people you're talking about are paying the most in taxes that run our country, that pay the most in charity giving, that are feeding the homeless and all these things like that. And there will always be people who say, well, they're not doing enough. They're not doing enough, not doing enough. They're doing the most. They're doing the most. So you have no right to tell them they're not doing enough when they're doing more than everyone else. So the point of baby step number seven is to be outrageously generous, to change the lives of others and to, you know, cultivate and share education, share time, share resources with other people who need it. Give opportunities to those who might not have it. That's why I started this podcast, because in a way, because I don't plan on, you know, I, I've gone through these baby steps and the only one I have not done is pay off my home because that's just not something. So I am in that living and giving stage of life. I'm already investing most of my income towards retirement. I'm already, you know, I don't have kids yet and we don't plan on it for the near future. So I'm not saving for their retirement. So that baby step is done. I have an emergency fund. I have no debt. So I'm in that baby step number seven. And it's like, James, what are you going to do with your time now? Now I'm going to, now I'm going to spend my time giving to other people, giving them education, giving them knowledge, giving them things like this podcast where they can also reach baby step number seven and they can turn around and bring people up behind them. So it's my philosophy on the baby steps in general is that although it may seem a little slow to some people, a lot of people say it's not optimal or, you know, it's boring or it's going to have you working for 20, 30, 40 years. It is as close to you. It is as close you can get to a guaranteed path. If you do everything that he mentions to the T, there's no way you can fail. And a part of accumulating massive wealth, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars, it requires risk. Dave Ramsey's plan does not require risks. And with no risks, you can get to a million dollars, $2 million, $3 million, $5 million net worth. If you just do it right, you work hard and you follow the steps with no risk at all. So I think taking a risk-free path and getting, you know, two million, becoming a multimillionaire, it's not a bad gig for a risk-free path, right? Now, if you want to be 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, you want to enter those statistics. Well, at that point, you have to take a little bit of risks and deviate outside of this plan that he's laid out. But Again, I think personally, I take the guarantee couple mil, especially when you're someone who never even thought you'd be current on your bills or always thought you'd have a car payment or always thought you'd never own a home. I'll take a couple mil with no risk and some hard work 
than to be risky, fail a bunch of times, and possibly never get to those um, drastic net worth figures. But that's where I'm going to end this episode, guys. Again, this is the first episode I've done alone in a very, very long time. I hope that it was well knowledgeable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I would love feedback. If you guys want to hear these solo episodes where I break down things like how to buy a rental property or, you know, things along those lines, let me know. Reach out to me on social media. Let me know. Hey, James, actually, I love the solo episode you did. You should do those a little bit more often. And I will. And if it's something like, look, I don't want to hear you talk for an hour. I'm fine with that, too. Just let me know what you guys want and let me know what you guys think. With that being said, you guys can always reach me on my social medias that are all down in the show notes below. Yeah, but I have nothing else, man. I really hope you guys go check out Dave Ramsey's stuff. He's inspired me so much, and he's what's made me start this podcast. So maybe in the future, he can inspire you guys, and we can all become millionaires. But I'm going to get up out of here, guys. I'm your host, James Bowman. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys.